Radio Mano Papachango. Chris, uh, it's Ronald here, driving down the S38 highway in Jiangsu, China. I'm a Venezuelan guy living here for many years, and uh, your podcast is one of those things that keep me connected to reality. So I just want to say thank you very much. Muchas gracias por el buen trabajo que haces. And a few words in Chinese. Si hao peng yu Hey Chris, this is Kyle in Colorado. I am outside right now teaching my dog how to play a frisbee. Love the podcast. Hi Chris, my name is Hannah and I'm from Vancouver, Canada. And I'm at Burning Man right now and I just happened to uh, bump into your close friend Kyle Tierman. Completes completely uh, synchronistically, and I just wanted to say uh, to everybody: I wish you happiness and truth and meaning, and thank you for this podcast. Ciao. Ain't that sweet? Yeah, Kyle told me that uh, when he ran into this woman, they they were just talking, and somehow his name came up I guess that she thought maybe he was German he said no I'm not German but my last name is sort of German Tierman and she's like wait a minute Kyle Tierman hey are you the guy who gives Chris Ryan his shirts <laughs> that's, so that's how they met at Burning Man because Kyle Tierman hooks me up with discount Patagonia shirts occasionally uh, which explains my kind of uh, Hunter S. Thompson goofball look of late. I, I'll take them. They're good. They're good quality. Uh, and, you know, I guess I'm an aging white dude, so might as well embrace it. Thank you. Gracias, Ronaldo, Colorado Kyle, and Hannah for those beautiful intro snips right there. Um, I'm going to do a little housekeeping this time. But before I do, uh, this episode is with Mr. Money Mustache. You may have heard of him. He's very popular online. He's got a massive blog following. He's um, sort of in line with the minimalists. Um, He's part of this movement to reduce the clutter in your life and the bullshit and um, stop spending money on things you don't need to be spending money on and instead invest in your own future. It's too late for me, but for those of you who are young and starting out, uh, Think about it. Follow his advice and you might just be retired by 30. Now, I took the other route. I retired immediately upon leaving college and uh, just sort of, you know, lived in my 20s and 30s and 40s, (laughs) basically like with absolutely no care for the future. And uh, now that the future has arrived, I'm honestly, I don't really care much about the future now either. If I'm being totally honest with you, occasionally I'll wake up in the middle of the night and go, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I don't have a pension. I don't have Social Security. I don't have any of these things that people often spend their lives 
lining up so that they can retire at 65 without worrying about it. <clears throat> I don't have any of those things. Uh, I'm kind of banking on, you know, pancreatic cancer at 64. Come on. Let's hope for the best. Um, you know, or just podcasting until I'm too old to fucking adjust the mic. I don't know. Would you still be listening? I mean, if 30 years from now, I'll be in my 80s. You'll be in your 60s, probably, most of you. Are there, are there still going to be podcasts? Is there still going to be a world? I don't know. So that's sort of been my approach to uh, saving up for the future, which is totally irresponsible. I recognize that. Um, you know, but I don't have kids. So that's the beauty of not having kids. You don't really need to give a shit about the future as long as you're... I mean, I, I remember when Sex at Dawn, I was working on Sex at Dawn. I didn't have a publisher. I didn't have an agent. I didn't really have anything. I would just had this idea for a book. And um, my buddy Brian, who's an investment banker in Barcelona, and I were I remember exactly where we were. Where we, were. we were in a this funky little tapas bar in Pueblo Seco called Quimet y Quimet. It's about the size of a walk-in closet. And, um, but everything they have there is super high quality, best cheeses, best pickled fish, the best everything. And they make these little like tapas plates and really good wine and champagne and cava and, you know, port and whatever you want. They only have the really good quality. Funny thing about that place is they have, um, gourmet canned goods, which is a concept that I had never really come across until I was in Barcelona. And someone explained to me that, you know, Spain was so poor um, from basically the Civil War, which was in the 30s, until the death of Franco and the end of the dictatorship and sort of um, sort of things started picking up in the 70s and 80s. During that 50 years or so, Spain was so poor um, that a lot of the best things you could get came from outside. And so they came in the form of canned goods. Uh, so canned food became uh, associated with rich people. And so the, you know, various things in cans and bottles that were coming from outside Spain um, were the highest quality. So it's, it's funny in the United States, canned things are sort of like yeah, industrial, not that great. You want to get fresh stuff or whatever. Um, and I'm really going off on a tangent here. Oh, okay. So Brian and I were talking and this is a guy who's making, you know, well into the six figures every year. And he had four kids at the time, I think. And, um, a big ass mortgage. So his life was different from mine. Very, very different. Um, but he's still one of my best friends in the world. And I remember him saying to me, like, what are you going to do if this doesn't work? Like, you don't have a, you don't have any sort of safety net under you. And I said, I don't know, I'll do something. And he's like, yeah, but what if, like, what if you get sick? What if you get old and you don't have any money and you don't have any pension? You don't have any, any safety net. You don't have any kids even to take care of you. And I remember saying, well, I'll just die, Brian. And I remember him looking at me kind of incomprehensibly, like, 
like what? Like as if I just said one Brian, you know, like it took him a minute to wrap his head around the fact that dying is an option. It may not be your, you know, the best possible retirement plan, but <laughs> I mean, let's face it, we can all just, you know, press the reset button if we need to. So again, I don't mean to be morose, but uh, that's always been sort of underlying my approach to retirement. Mr. Money Mustache has a much more, um, I don't know, upbeat approach to saving for retirement. So I hope you enjoy this episode with him. But before we get to Mr. Money Mustache, as I said, I have some housekeeping stuff I wanted to do. Uh, I want to, first of all, thank by name, new Patreon supporters of the podcast. So if you don't like listening to me read off people's names, and then I'm going to do, I'm going to talk about some of the things people have bought on Amazon. If you don't want to hear that kind of shit, um, you know, jump ahead five or 10 minutes. Okay. You've been warned. So here we go. Here are some people who have recently uh, joined the Patreon supporter group, Thomas Marcus. And thank you to all of you, all of them. Um, Let's see, Matt Cooper K., uh, John Tanner Buckley, Philip McCula. Thank you, Philip. Now, some of these people are pledging 20 bucks. Some of them are pledging one buck. I don't care. I'm happy. You're pledging what's comfortable for you, what you think this is worth in your life, what you can afford. It's beautiful. Henrik Lindblom stepped his up from three bucks to 10 bucks. Thank you, Henrik. Uh, Tristan Sheehan, William Allen. Thank you so much, William. And when you hear me delay, it's because I also on the same list, I see people who have deleted theirs or um, reduced theirs or whatever. And I <laughs> thank them for deleting it. Uh, Stephen Fox pledged $1.62. Don't know where that number came from, but thank you, Stephen. Uh, Jezariah Hopkins jumped it up from $2 to $5 a month. Nanner, thank you so much. Uh, James Van Artsdalen, Artsdalen, James Van Artsdalen stepped his up from five to 10. Thanks, James. I don't know why people are adjusting them this month. That's interesting. Steven, thank you. Uh, Joshua Sloan, Matt McLean, Jamie Hall. Uh, these are all in the last week or so. Kim, thank you. Uh, Plamena Petrova. Thank you, Plamena Petrova. Beautiful name. I wonder what that means. Plamena. Uh, Petrova has something to do with is Petro has something to do with oil, maybe. I don't know. It used to be Petrograd, then it was Leningrad, Stalingrad, then it's Leningrad. I don't know if that has anything to do with oil. Um, Brian, thank you so much. Jeremy Carlson, thank you. Uh, let's see. Deleted, deleted. A dollar pledged by SPNZ. SPNZ spins, whatever your name is. Thank you for pledging that. Uh, and Matt Lyons. I don't know if I'm getting into ones I've already read. Uh, this is going back to September 11th. Rob Blau. Thank you, sir. Rudy. Uh, Pedro M. Caballero Lozano. Thank you. Pedro M. Caballero Lozano. Caballero. Gentlemen. Um, Marisa Fisher. Thank you. And Christina Tam- Tabor. Christina Tabor. And Andrew Martinson doubled his pledge. Thank you, sir. Paul Lamely, thank you as well. All right, that's, I'm going to stop reading those things now because it's, I don't know, it's probably boring for you uh, unless your name comes up and then there's a little thrill to it. 
Um, Amazon stuff. People have been buying some interesting stuff. Now, of course, Amazon does not in any way support this particular podcast. But if you buy things on Amazon using my affiliate link on my website, chrisryanphd.com or thatchrisryan.com or tangentiallyspeaking.com, it's all the same damn website with different names. Um, If you use that Amazon affiliate link, some money kicks back to me and that frees up time and resources for the podcast in an indirect sense because I don't want anyone to think that Amazon in any way supports this podcast. Okay, now that that's out of the way, somebody bought from Amazon Elf on the Shelf Dazzling Dress. Now see, that cost them eleven fifty and 35 cents kicks back to me. The percentages vary from like 3% to 7%. Uh, on the product so let's see here let's find a higher price one so somebody bought a shark duo clean cordless ultra light vacuum ion flex for 197 bucks and 15 bucks kicks back toward me thank you very much for that what other strange things are people buying here somebody bought a book called Unfuckology, a field guide to living with guts and confidence. That cost them $9.99 and 40 cents came back to us. If that's you, let me know if you liked Unfuckology. It sounds like an interesting book. Now, here's the kind of stuff that really starts to add up. People buy um, tools and industrial stuff. So, like if you're working, I don't know, some people buy, uh, obviously they're growing weed because I'll see sometimes like uh, jugs of fertilizer and light lights and reflectors and bulbs and things like that stuff like that where you have to buy things as part of the business that's so great if like if you're a purchaser for some business and you can run that stuff through through my amazon affiliate link that really helps out and it doesn't cost you or your business or your boss's business anything extra so you're not ripping anybody off uh on my behalf which i certainly wouldn't want you to do um, but it is, it's just like walking by money left on the, on the sidewalk, but you can't put it, pick it up and put it in your pocket. You have to give it to someone. So if you give it to me, that's cool. Uh, somebody bought uh DeVault 10 inch job site table saw cost $554 and 30 bucks kicked back my way. So thank you very much for that. Here's another one. LCH industrial metal wood top stackable dining chairs for, uh, Oh, they bought two two sets for um, $372 and 30 bucks kickback toward us. So thank you very much for doing those things to support Chris Ryan Enterprises. One thing I almost always forget to say, I thank you for those introductory snips and then I forget to tell you where to send them if you want to send me one. Uh, please keep it, you know, 20, 30 seconds, somewhere around there. Some of them are coming in five, 10 minutes long. There's no way I can play that on the podcast. I listen to them and I appreciate the messages, but, um, yeah, I can't, I'm not, <laughs> it's bad enough. You have to listen to me reading out people's names and Amazon products. Uh, I'm not going to play anything more than 20 or 30 seconds. So please keep it brief. Let us know where you are, what you're doing. Um, if it's relevant, why the podcast is, is interesting or important to you. Um, but that's not necessary. We just really want to hear about you so that other listeners get a sense of, you know, what's going on out there in the tangentially speaking 
community and you can send them to christopherassistant at gmail.com. That's christopherassistant at gmail.com. And it may be a while um, before you hear yours, um, but don't worry about it. It's just that I get so many of them uh, that it takes a while to, to work through them. I'm trying to play them more or less in chronological order uh, in which they came in, except for ones like the Burning Man one where it's sort of like, hey, that's recent. Everyone knows if I play a Burning Man message in January, that's kind of like, what? Burning Man's in August, dude, or September. So, But most of them I'm trying to play more or less as they come in. All right, so I'm not going to rant very much since I did all the housekeeping this time. I'm flying to New York tomorrow morning. Uh, I'm going to be there for a few days helping um, my friend Wednesday Martin launch her book, Untrue. You can check that out. It's a book about female sexuality and how the story and nature of female sexuality has been like so many things controlled by men over the centuries. And so a false understanding of female sexuality and untrue understanding of female sexuality has uh, been created. And um, now that women are getting into the sciences and, and, you know, not only getting into them, but rising to positions of leadership and publishing books and, uh, getting a very different view of female sexuality um, to challenge this longstanding phallocentric understanding that women are just sort of passive vessels for male sexual energy. Uh, it's a very interesting book. I blurbed it. I read it. I loved it. She's been on the podcast before. Uh, I'm going to do a podcast with her in New York and attend a reading and uh, a dinner party where she's having a bunch of sexuality researchers get together. So that'll be a sort of fun, you know, high class in New York kind of thing. Uh, she put put us up in a exclusive private club in Midtown. And I was terrified to read that you have to have a jacket and tie to walk in through the front door. And I'm like, fuck, I don't have a jacket and a tie. I was going to borrow one from Jake Johansson or Simon Rex had was going to lend me something. And um, I haven't worn a tie for, I can't remember the last time I wore a tie. Ties to me feel, it's like putting on a leash. It just feels really weird to loop something around my neck. That just feels weird. It's like, I don't know. There's there's something. It's like a ring through my nose, you know. There's it's. I know it's. I don't know. It's symbolic, I guess. But I don't. I don't understand why I would ever wrap a rope around my neck and then walk around in crowded places like that. That just doesn't seem smart. Um, I have a problem with authority. It's a good thing I don't have a job. I, it's a good thing I don't need to have a job. Because I would be the worst employee ever. Like even when someone talks about their boss, it it makes me wretch. What do you mean your boss? Your boss? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, ties. Piss in a cup. Fuck you. I'm not pissing in a cup. Fuck you, man. It's It's none of your business what I smoked last weekend. Fuck off. So... Yeah, it's either podcasting or homelessness for me. Uh, 
Anyway, this will be an interesting... Oh, oh, that place has a side. I was luckily found that that place has a side entrance for Riff Raff coming back from the gym. I won't be going to any gyms, but I'll be coming in through the uh, Riff Raff entrance at the exclusive club. Hopefully I don't get kicked out for being an imposter. Uh, anyway, that's where I'll be when you listen to this. I'll probably be in the air flying, Cassie and I are flying to New York City. It's a great time to be in Manhattan. I lived there, as some of you will know, I lived there uh, for three years. Um, so it's um, always a nostalgic thing to go to Manhattan and walk around and see, you know, I remember when I took a girl out to a date in that place right there and I lived there and I used to hang out with my buddy who lived in that building and that's that kind of feeling. So that'll be interesting. Um, people have been sending me very beautiful notes um, about getting through the death of a parent or just sharing their experiences along those lines. I really appreciate that. It's, as I often say, surreal and yet somehow deeply authentic, this relationship that I have with you. Uh, even though I haven't met most of you every time I do meet you or I receive an email from you or whatever comes to into my life from you. Um, it's beautiful and kind and thoughtful and just reinforces the sense I have that I'm the luckiest guy in the world to have uh, so many friends that I haven't met. Um, anyway, I don't want to dwell on it and make it a constant presence in the podcast, but I'm doing okay. My mom's doing good. My sister's doing all right. Everybody seems to be okay. And, uh, one thing I'm feeling is almost a very urgent, um, uh, almost a panic to, remove bullshit from my life. And I don't know, that's probably not an unusual uh, response to reminders of mortality, especially, you know, when lightning strikes very close. Um, it reminds you that it's going to strike you one of these days and there's no sense in waiting around. Uh, and that's a good thing. And it's something that I have felt very strongly in my life, you know, always. Uh, and um, it, it comes cyclically, I think, you know, normally it has for me. Like I would drift for a while and then one reason or another um, sort of get like a, a house cleaning urge, you know. And um, it's funny because it, it's, it's like a it's a deeply compassionate kind of thing in a sense, because it's alignment with truth and alignment with life and alignment with respecting your own limited amount of time on the planet. But it can also seem cruel and abrupt and um, ruthless in some ways, because there just isn't enough time. And you have to do some triage 
in your relationships, in your work, and you know, in, in anything that you're spending time on, anything and anyone that is absorbing your time. And, and I just feel like I don't want to water dead plants. I don't want to pour my juice into buckets that have holes in them. And uh, I think, you know, that's sort of a consistent concern for everybody. You don't want to waste your energy. You don't want to invest in someone or something that isn't going to multiply that energy and invest it in others. You know, you want to see your energy going out into the world and getting larger like that. Those waves emanating from the pebble that you throw into the lake. You want to see the circles grow and get bigger and bigger. And um, sometimes you throw a pebble in the lake and just nothing happens. And uh, yeah, those aren't the right lakes. Gotta, gotta move on. And yeah, so that's what I'm feeling strongly. Um, everything else seems to be plugging along pretty much as expected. Update on Civilized to Death. I just got a note from my editor. He's read the first hundred pages and he really enjoys it. So hopefully he'll feel the same way after he finishes the book, but um, that's gone well. So that will probably be coming to you somehow, somewhere, sometime. All right. That's enough from me. Don't forget, if you want t-shirts, almost everything's on sale. Uh, deep discounts because we're cleaning out the garage. Um, we've got huge <laughs> backlogs of tangentially speaking shirts and hoodies and uh, paleo modern and uh, uh, talking out my ass. And uh, what else? Oh, we've got the new Vanthropology shirts in. And of course, the ever present ever popular civilized to death uh shirts those are uh we've got plenty of those in every size so if you want some t-shirts order them on the website chrisryanphd.com and my mom julie will be taking care of you she gets the she's amazing she gets them out within like 48 hours of the order coming in she's really something so thanks for all your support of the podcast and thanks for those kind notes that many of you have been including in your order to my mom. She loves it and uh, makes her feel really good. All right. That's enough for me now. Oh, I got to tell you, I'm going to play some music here. Yeah. Um, these are both tunes are from listeners. Uh, the first one is from a guy named Pavel. He's a Polish dude living in uh, Berlin, grinding stairs. I'm not sure what that means. Grinding stairs, but that's what he's doing in Berlin. Uh, and he's a, a beat maker and uh, yeah so this tune I really like it it's called Jana D-J-A-N-A from an album Holotropic and his musician name is Toek uh, T-O-U-E-K and you can check out his music um, download it buy albums songs whatever at Toek, T-O-U-E-K dot bandcamp dot com. And then later, uh, I'm going to play just some sort of uh, cool transitional music from a tune called Journeys. And that's by Makajay, M-A-C-A-J-E-Y at Makajay dot bandcamp dot com. Uh, I'm just going to play some like background. It's kind of his, his stuff is kind of groovy. Um, 
ambient music. So I'm just going to play maybe a minute out of that song, Journeys. And you'll hear that later in the podcast, but I won't interrupt everything to talk at that point. All right. And then I'm not going to add anything at the end either. I'm just going to go straight into the uh, Carsey Blanton song, Smoke Alarm. Uh, But let me... Uh, Let me grab this paper from the wall here. Uh, Pull it off there so I can go through all this stuff and I won't have to bother you at the end. Um, I've already done the Patreon thing. I've done the Amazon thing. The intro music is by Basin and Range. The song is called Bright Side of the Sun and you can get their music at basinandrange.bandcamp.com. The Reddit uh page if you want to talk about the podcast you can go to reddit and look up tangentially speaking and you'll find an entire community of people there i think it's like up to four thousand or something um talking about episodes issues stuff not even necessarily directly related to the podcast but most of it is pretty directly related to the podcast and uh, one last thing I wanted to do while I'm doing all this housekeeping stuff, I wanted to thank people who have been working voluntarily on the, um, these two books that we're, we're getting ready to put out soon as ebooks, the sexuality one and the drugs and consciousness one. Of course, while I'm talking about this, don't forget, I've got boxes of the tangentially reading book. If you're in the United States, you can order that from my mom. You get the full color version. If you're outside of the United States, um, order it through Amazon. Um, if you're in the United States and you order it through my mom and you want um, me to, they're all signed. But if you want me to write anything particular, if it's a gift to somebody, I'm happy to write whatever the hell you want me to write. Uh, as long as it's not my passwords or anything like that, bank account numbers, you know, uh, but I wanted to thank people who have been doing these transcriptions. These guys are working hard transcribing, uh, episodes that they think are interesting for the book. And they're not only transcribing, they're also choosing sections they find most important. So they're really involved in the project, um, and it's fantastic. So these are people who've been working on uh, the sex uh, issue. Vincent Butterfield, Lindsey Brown, Catherine Bard, Aaron Stark, Brad Hagoski, Catherine Handley, Adina Love, and Alva Jaffe. Uh, Michael Font has been working on both episodes, I believe. I should say both editions of the book. Uh, and then other people who are working on the consciousness and um, the drugs book, Enrique uh, Scotch, Tristan Klein, Gabrielle Christensen, uh, yeah, Michael Font, as I thought, Olivia Waterstone, Tabea J, Chloe C, and Scott Tuddy. So thank you very much to all of you who are pitching in, um, contributing your time intelligence and uh attention that's really fucking cool i gotta say uh all right that's it thank you i hope you enjoyed mr money mustache sorry for droning on so long but uh you know that stuff adds up and and i want to get it all out there sooner or later so mr money mustache you can check him out at his website google him he's got a major following and is putting out some really important information Thanks for listening to this podcast, and I will catch you next time.
right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's a hot day in Longmont, Colorado, and I'm sitting in a, uh, a beautiful office. This is a shared workspace? Yeah, it's called Mr. Money Mustache Headquarters. Mr. Money Mustache Headquarters with Mr. Money Mustache himself, who's relatively clean-shaven at the moment. I'm, yes. I'm very disappointed. It's I was expecting... Seasonal. Oh, it's a seasonal. It's summer. It's a hot day. <laughs> right. Mr. Money Mustache sheds, apparently. Uh, Pete Aidney is his his real name. Did I pronounce it right? Yeah, correct. Oh, okay, now I can die happy. That's it. Uh, so we've been in contact for several years. Uh, I've been wanting to to chat with you and bring your wisdom to my little slice of the world here, um, because as as I was mentioning before we turned the mics on, I think your principles. Like, I've been living by what I understand to be your principles for a long time. I'm not independently wealthy by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm very good at um, low-income, low high-life quality. And I've been yeah. doing that since, you know, reading Thoreau in college and then going out on the road. Does yeah. that, I mean, is that part of, is that central to what you're that preaching? Is. Yeah, it's supposed to be all about having as much fun as you can and having a happy life so you got to optimize that and money is just another thing to optimize to me because it feels wrong to waste it so but i would never want to compromise on fun so that's why it's it's worthy of congratulations if you've been living like that already because there aren't many of us it seems a lot of people are doing the opposite Mm. where they spend the maximum amount of money they can and then just kind of default to having whatever fun comes from that and then as a result they're broke all the time yeah yeah i was thinking about this recently in terms of this book i've been writing it, it it's like people think about the natural world as being this very hostile environment you know there's snakes and tigers and all this kind of stuff that want to kill you and eat you but in reality if you look at the way hunter gatherers experience the world they see it as generally a benevolent pretty safe place and they feel gratitude toward it it's not until agriculture where we get this idea of like you have to work for the sweat of your brow and you know if you don't work you don't eat and no pain no grain and all this kind of stuff I, I switched the grain there. That's pretty clever. Isn't that clever? Um, but uh, from my perspective, bohemian hippie that I am, I see this environment, the, the, the corporate capitalist environment, as being extremely hostile because it's constantly trying to trick us out of our time, our attention, our resources, our health. It, everything's lying to us and trying yeah. to get us into debt, you know, trying to pull us into this, this whirlpool from which we'll never escape. Yeah. That's super interesting because it's, uh, it's done with gentle enticements, like a delicious Starbucks menu and beautiful furnishings in there and stuff. But the end result is, is kind of like a voluntary slavery that people go into if you just get sucked into every greased shoot of luxury. <laughs> greased shoots of luxury. Yeah, it's a good band name, actually. <laughs> I like that. Heavy metal, yeah. <laughs> angry, angry band. But anyway, you, uh, you can quickly just be like, yeah, I'm an important person, I've made it, and then you're just enjoying all these little things, and then you have no, no money or negative money in debt yeah. um, through your whole life. So it's an amazing, it is quite a trap because the end result is like, a pretty bad thing. You can be mental health can deteriorate. You can get depressed. Or you can have physical health problems from eating poorly and not exercising because that's part of the trap too. Is like they make everything easy. Yeah, where comfort. 
yeah, so you just sit in the car and you never work your body. And it's only when people are like in hospitals in their 50s getting all kinds of tubes and bypasses. And, and so that's pretty serious results, even though it starts out as a pleasant enticement. Yeah. And it's not always pleasant, right? I mean, go, you got to go to college. Yeah. And if your parents aren't wealthy, then you're going to graduate 50, 60, 70 grand in debt starting out. That's not gentle. That's a fucking hammer to the head, you know? And then what? You got a degree in sociology and you're 60 grand in debt? Yeah. Good luck. That's true. And there's all the pressure to do that, even though I would argue that you shouldn't. I mean, if you don't have a great job, either you should be wealthy going into an education that expensive, so it's just a drop in the bucket, or there should be a super sweet job waiting for you, like uh, engineering, like I went through, where Mm. 70,000 is just a portion of your first year's salary, so there would be no debt. Um, otherwise, why not become a, a plumber or a carpenter where you can make $100,000 within a few years and, uh, and the education is really cheap? Uh, I agree. Yeah. And not just those, man, you know, those traditional super manual labor things. There's a lot of trades that are high paying that don't have to be greasy. and Underwater welding. Strength. Yeah. That pays really well. I actually considered that, I mean, after I'd already gone to undergrad. But I went undergrad. I got a degree in English. Very practical. Yeah. Uh, but I met a guy who was an underwater welder in Alaska. And he was, uh, he worked like, I don't know, eight weeks a year, something like that. But it's very dangerous. You yeah. don't want to fuck up. See, that's, you know, that's going a little bit beyond, because you can do relatively safe jobs out here. Like I have a friend who runs an oil services com- uh, company because we have a fair amount of small oil fields right here in Colorado. Hmm. So he just drives... 10 minutes into the country where they have the, the rig set up and does some expert plumbing and, and maintenance on the equipment. And he's making Alaska welder things, but mm. he can still be home yeah. to barbecue with his friends at 5 p.m. He's so, not risking his life yeah. every day. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are lots of ways to make a living. So you, you're an engineer by training. Uh, what kind of engineering? Yeah, it was like the software Oh, computer. Yeah, engineer. hardware and software design. Right. Although it's a, you know it's a bit of a stretch to say that because it was a long time ago. I retired 13 years ago. Yeah, it's changing so I would fast. Suck today, if I went into such a job. Yeah, yeah, you'd be an old grizzled veteran. Yeah. <laughs> I should, I should, you have to be a boss or laid off. Yeah. To not yeah. really, but I feel a little bit too old to be like the best coding shape because that's like sure. a really fast brain type thing. Right. Right. And you got to be cutting edge with what's happening in Russia with the hackers in Russia. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. You know, talking about those values that we were referring to earlier, I don't want to get derailed into politics, but it does seem like where we are right now is the fruition of those values. Yeah. You know, like empty, gold plated, not quality of life but yeah. all external glitter and you know and debt true and if you're th- talking about the u.s election uh, it's kind of arrived at by plucking at people's emotions in the most base way yeah in the old days i feel the elections had a little bit of a line that you wouldn't cross where you just wouldn't totally make shit up right and then when as soon as somebody was willing to cross that they had the advantage in the strategy because they're like hey look there's a lot of people who are gullible if you just lie to them yeah and we're like wait no that's not the rules and like they are now yeah but it's it's totally predictable in a culture that's based on lies 
which is what advertising is. Yeah. Advertising, you know, it starts off as just saying, hey, we want to bring information about this product to you. But very quickly, it degenerates into, we want to trick you into buying this piece of shit that's going to break anyway. And, True. You know. But because of the history of consumer protection that's kind of grown up with the commerce era, there has been a fair amount of lines as well where you, as an advertiser, you can't lie quite as much in the United States as you would have been able to back in before these protections are in place. You know? Unless you're selling supplements. Yeah, that's for sure. Totally <laughs> fake. But, you know, cars, the they could say guaranteed to last 100 years or 10 million miles. And then the car breaks after 1,000 miles and then they're not responsible right, yeah. if there were no rules. But now they're you would get a class auction lawsuit or whatever. You would, but those are exactly the things that are being cut back on now. That's true. Right? Well, the new yeah. administration, that's the, you know, this whole environmental protection stuff, consumer protection, that's exactly what they're, they were elected to get rid of. Yeah, so we'll see where it goes, but it's pretty, pretty civilized country so far. Yeah. Still. Yeah, I live in Spain most of the time, so when I'm back in the U.S., I feel like an outsider in, in some ways, even though I grew up here. It's yeah. uh yeah, it's it's interesting. And my wife, of course, is a I don't know what the hell she is. What are you? African, Portuguese. She's she's a mix or Benetton. She's a Benetton person. So I'm um, an outsider too, being from Canada. Oh, that's right, yeah. Listeners don't all know. So I also came in this country a little bit like the unfrozen caveman lawyer where that's like an obscure reference. Yeah, unfrozen caveman lawyer. It's like a Is Saturday that? Night Live character. Oh. Where he's like, he's just thought out, and so he can see everything with fresh eyes. At least that's what he tells the jury. He's like, I'm just a caveman, but what I do know is my client. So anyway, <laughs> like I Dan Aykroyd, or who played that? Uh, it was Phil Hartman, I think. Phil Hartman, oh. So anyway, I came to the U.S. with a little bit different values. Yeah. More, you know, a little bit less consumery and a bit less trickery. Yeah. And so then when I came here at age 24, I saw, I noticed subtle differences. And yeah. I think that helped me to, to buy a bit less stuff and to be a bit more free in my choices because I wasn't raised in the culture. What, what, what was your family like economically, financially? Were they very um, conscious about finances or is that something that started yeah, with you? They were quite frugal and uh, still are, like all my siblings, my mom. And... Uh, it's, I grew up thinking that was normal, so then when I graduated from that household as an adult, I brought that, those same ideas out to the normal world, and then I started making a middle class, or like a little bit above middle income salary. As an engineer? Which, yeah, yeah, and that left three quarters of my money, because I had lived at kind of the, the way my parents did, and then the remaining three quarters, I could just chuck it into some index funds mm. and retire early. Mm. So yeah, it's a big difference. I mean. For example, not having air conditioning in our house when other kids did, and my parents would buy used cars and not, not fancy ones and yeah. all this stuff. And little decisions like that across the whole spectrum of your expenditures makes a giant difference in, in how much you have left over every month. Where did their frugality come from? Was there a war refugee situation in the past or something like that? Probably they just, both of my parents had pretty poor upbringings in like rural Ontario. Mm. So it's poor by necessity. Right. My dad's mom probably went through the Great Depression, you know, as part right. of her youth. So, right. um, and also Canada itself wasn't as rich a country, especially back then in the, you know, 50s through through uh, 90s. Yeah. 
Now it's, I'd say it's richer than the US on a per capita basis. And sure enough, mm. the, the spending and the habits that I see in my younger peers back there, like people in their 20s and 30s, it looks just like what you'd see here in a, mm-hmm. a Dallas suburb where everyone's just got like, oh, well, might as well get the extra long version of the Yukon with leather and stuff because they they'll give me a loan for it. Right. And that in my family, that would be unheard of. You know, that kind of even now everyone makes a good wage among my siblings and the fanciest car anybody's ever got was like a Toyota Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> no, my sister got a Honda Element. I think that's a little bit. Uh, I had a Honda Element. This is a nice car. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not very aerodynamic. But yeah. Yeah. Which is a bit of sacrilege in my family because it yeah. has to be manual transmission, hatchback, and good fuel mileage. So yeah. when that sister broke the mold, she was setting a statement, right? Yeah, but they are extremely practical in other ways. Yep. You can put all the seats down and the whole car turns into a big double bed. They're, yeah. they're amazing. And if you're schlepping stuff around, it's amazing when you can get into one. This episode brought to you by Honda Element. <laughs> this, this podcast, by the way, has no advertisers. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I eschew advertising largely because... A lot of what I talk about is so anti-consumerist that it made no sense to be, you know. So spend your money on experiences, not stuff. But if you are going to spend it on stuff, check out this underwear. You know, I just couldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah, especially when you have to use your own voice to speak and add, that feels, That's that, a to big, me, that would feel yeah. like a sellout. Yeah, because the whole thing is people come to trust your voice. Yeah. You know, and that's what people are buying when they get some famous person to, you know, yeah. do the ad. It's like, oh, that, that voice is a friend. That's the voice of someone I trust. Yeah. yeah. So that shit gets through your defenses. Yeah. I didn't want to participate in that. So, okay. So let's trace. So your, your family, uh, my best friend growing up, I grew up typical suburban white kid. My dad was always making more money than the year before. And my parents were not good uh, financially. They like they bought timeshares and they just fell for all the dumb, dumbest shit. They were they're wonderful people, very trusting and salespeople could use that against them. Uh, But and then they lost pretty much all their savings um, in the crash in 2008. Oh, Pretty recent. Yeah. 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 So their trajectory was up, 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 boom, down. And now they're retired and, you know, in their final days. And yeah. So I, my family background is sort of the epitome of uh, the way people behave financially when they don't think things through. My best friend growing up, his parents were both war refugees. And he used to, I remember he would come to school with his lunch in a paper bag, food that his mother had made. You could buy lunch for a dollar fifty or something, but no, no, he, right. <laughs> and he'd eat his weird Ukrainian dumplings or whatever they were. And then he would fold the paper bag and put it in his pocket. Oh, for tomorrow's lunch? Same paper bag, right? <laughs> Every day. And that paper bag looked like it had like come from Ukraine in the 40s. And so I was working at Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I stole a gross of sandwich bags. I just slipped it out the back one day and gave it to him. I was like, dude, you can have a different bag every day. Like, you're set. He took it home. His mother thanked him, thanked me, put it in storage. 
And he kept coming with the same Yeah, thing. just in case. Just <laughs> exactly. in case get hard later. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now we've got a gross of bags. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so so how do you go? You've got this frugality in your background. You're in America. You're making a, a good salary. You're putting most of it away. How does that become Mr. Money Mustache? Yeah, well... If you save, in my case, like somewhere around two-thirds of your take-home pay, so not your top line, you don't have to be a tax evader, but just whatever you have left over taxes, save two-thirds on that and live on the remaining one-third. Uh, it turns out if you do that for about nine years, then you've got enough of a nest egg that will sustain you for life on that amount of spending. You, so your spending continues. So in this example, like say I was bringing $100,000 home between the two of us, and, and the couple, and then that left 30,000 to spend. If I'm happy living on 30,000 for the rest of my life, and of course it's gonna inflate with inflation, so it's not 30,000 in the year, right. whatever, um, then you can keep doing that and your investment's just thrown into index funds like the Vanguard VTI fund is, is one go-to that you buy the entire US index, pays you dividends, you're invested the whole US economy, you never have to think about it, and then that buys your groceries forever. So those are the meat and potatoes yeah, of that. Right. So, so okay, let's break this down. Uh, break down the numbers. So you're bringing home a hundred grand with your partner, and she's down for this. Was it hard to find a woman who was down for this? Well, I didn't pre-select uh, that <laughs> for that characteristic, but I guess I got lucky and yeah. you know, m marrying a reasonable girl. Well, it makes sense that you would, though, if yeah. that's an important principle. And she's like, no, let's go and spend $800 on dinner. Yeah, yeah I don't it think never so, would have got to that stage yeah. because I grew up with that certain upbringing. And I like people who are open-minded in the sense that they question social norms and then yeah. decide which ones to accept and which ones not to accept. Right. So anyway. Especially given the fact that, as I was saying earlier, the social norms are hostile to your happiness, yeah. hostile to your well-being. Right. Yeah. It's, people don't understand that. They think the world... I remember as a kid, I used to think, you know, you'd see something advertised on TV and you think, oh, that doesn't look healthy. But they couldn't sell it if it wasn't healthy, right? They wouldn't let them <laughs> sell it if it wasn't good for you. Yeah. Only later did I realize how wrong I was. Right. I, it was margarine, actually, is what I was thinking about. Oh, yeah. Remember when margarine was, uh, you're probably not old enough, but when I was a kid, margarine was the healthy alternative yeah, to butter. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much that old, too. So, yeah, the right. saturated fat was bad. Yeah. Fake fat was suddenly good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But you had a point about the so, 100,000. So income. the 100 grand. Okay, so you're living on 35 the two of you. So you're paying rent. I take it you're not buying a house and getting into a 30-year mortgage. Uh, no, in that case, it, it actually is more profitable to own a house. And I personally like houses. So, mm. um, so just bought a house and then you're making mortgage payments initially. Right. And then we chose to use some of our surplus to pay off the mortgage early. Uh, just for from the two-thirds that you were saving yeah okay rather than put it in the fund you pay off your mortgage because right. your mortgage is eight percent and you, yeah that's and it that's after-tax dollars yeah yeah in yeah. general you'll you'll do better putting your money in stock market index funds instead of paying off your mortgage especially with today's super cheap super low rates. yeah but in the, in the end you're going to pay everything off so it just depends on your your strategy right so i bought a house that was super junky and renovated it. I learned carpentry as I lived there. Right. So it was lower to purchase and lower mortgage. And then we also invested in the index funds and then eventually moved to another town and, and then turned that first house into a rental house. And because it was nice inside, instead of junky, it 
gathered a lot of rent and it gave me nice reliable tenants because you had your pick of the market for right. you're going to have to stay there. So that was several more years and the house appreciated. And then, you know, a little bit of good luck in the sense that this part of Colorado has appreciated a bit faster than inflation. So that was a boost. But then I made some dumb mistakes after retirement that more or less canceled that out. So, oh, good. So you, my well, point is you don't have to be lucky in either the stock market or the real estate market for this to work. Right. If you are lucky, then it'll be a little faster. And if you're unlucky, it'll be a little slower. But that's not a big deal. The big deal is what you choose to do with your spending because that's the giant lever that you have um, on how quickly you can become financially well off. Yeah. What I mean, people listening to this are saying, "Oh, come on! I, I, you know, I barely make enough to survive. I make, you know, fifty-five grand a year after taxes. That's forty. My rent is two thousand a month. Like, it does everybody? I mean, assuming you're you're not like living in your car or something. Do you do you feel like there's fat in everybody's budget? Not everybody, but most people, probably 90% of people in the United States have a fair amount of flexibility if they knew what they could cut. Like, for right. example, a lot of people say, my car payment is this, and it costs me this in gas. So those are locked in, right? And uh, the answer is no. You can have a cheaper car that you don't have to have a payment on. And number two, you don't have to live so far away from work that you have to use a, a racing motorized wheelchair to get there and back. Because you can get, and you can get new jobs. So most people lock in their house, their job, and the car, and all this other stuff, and they're like, those are the untouchable parts of my budget. And the mustachian principle is that you question everything. Like, right. you move to an entirely new country in order to hmm. get a better job and living arrangement. And, and then when, even when I was looking at job interviews around the US, um, I got offers for various jobs, but then I looked at housing near those offices, and I didn't pick one where I was gonna have to drive to work. And, it wasn't like so much the money, but it was just I never wanted to have a car commute because that's depressing to me. I like biking to work and being free and not right. wasting an hour of my day round trip in a car. So I picked Boulder in that case in 1999 because I was able to buy a house within biking distance of work with the salary that I was going to be earning. Right. So all that changed countries, selected from different cities. Um, it was like more of a blank slate. Um, yeah, so people have more control over what's going on financially than they think yeah. if they step back and really look hard at Yeah. Yeah. people have kids it definitely is harder um, to make the decisions when you have kids so I would say you depending on how resilient your kids are you, you have a different size of window for wiggling and that was one of the reasons I made sure to do all this stuff in my 20s before having kids because mm. I knew I wanted to start a family around age 30 so and I know how hard I like to work hard and I don't like to divide my attention and I always had this dream of being a super dad where I'd never mm. have to like leave my kid in order to go to work or leave my work in order to take care of a sick kid. So right. I thought, let's get all this work stuff done before the child raising starts. So right. that's one segment of my blog audience that I try to speak to, especially firmly, is like, hey, if you're graduating, 
especially in a good field, like don't mess this golden decade up because that's your freedom. You can totally be free for the rest of your life hmm. if you don't mess up your 20s. Right. And then number two, even if you do have kids, you can still flex your spending and saving muscles a lot. For example, localize your life so you're not driving your kids 60 miles out to do horseback lessons that cost a thousand dollars a month and stuff like you're like fuck that horseback lesson shit yeah i mean i one of the reasons i never had kids was i never wanted to have the con there are many reasons and a lot of them financial honestly because kids tie you into things that you you know you or i might not want to be tied into like oh all my friends are taking horseback riding lessons all all my friends are wearing nikes and i really want to wear nike well you know how do you say to a seven-year-old like nikes are bullshit yeah you know it's you do that's you just say that but you can translate it if you don't want to learn bullshit yet oh they already know bullshit yeah everyone has to learn swearing at the right age for them everybody should swear first of all and number two you have to be able to say you have to be able to guide your kids into stuff mm. that matches your values. And, yeah. You know, in our, yeah. in our case, we don't do any activities that are further than about a mile or two from our house because we chose to live in a cool little city where everything is within a mile or two. Mm. And if there's some cool opportunity that comes up in, uh, in Denver or whatever for like re- recurring, you know, let's say it's lessons or whatever, we'd say, well, that's cool, but it's too bad we don't live in Denver. Let's look for something similar in Longmont because right. this is where we live. We don't mm. live in Denver, so we don't do stuff in Denver right. because we don't want to spend our lives in a car or kill ourselves on the Interstate 25. Yeah, yeah. So just really like drawing a geographic boundary around your house and then focusing your energy in there, stuff materializes magically. And suddenly yeah. your friends are there because you meet the people that live they around live you around instead you. of the people on the other side yeah. of Los Angeles or whatever. And you find jobs that are near there. Like, so your, your life goes where you direct your focus. So a big part of this is localizing your life. Keep yeah. your, your radius of activities and, and relationships as tight as possible. Yeah. yeah. I think that's good for your happiness, which is the real goal as well. Right. But it happens to be good for your money, too. Right. And your physical health, because then you can use active transportation to get around. Yeah. So, and that's why, you know, I don't even need, we could easily live car-free household that's one of the things Casilda and I love about living in Barcelona we don't have a car there and you don't miss it at all in fact having a car is a giant pain in the ass yeah parking's expensive street parking is a nightmare but the public transportation is great. It's a real tight... Do you know Barcelona? Have you been I've there? never been there, but I would like to oh, see it. Yeah, it's really nice. It, it's very much a city that's... Um, it's easy to be poor there. You know, it's easy. Like your quality of life is great because you can have a tiny little apartment or live in a room in someone else's apartment. Most of the life takes place in the street. So that's free. Everybody's out there, you know, for the cost of a coffee. You can sit in a cafe all day and hang out with your friends and see the world going by. It's easy to walk anywhere in the city. And if you don't want to walk, there's great buses and metros and bike share program. It's a really... And this is something I find in Europe in general, that the cities are much more designed for normal people. Whereas here, it's all gated communities and fuck the rest of y'all. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a different approach. sounds pretty approach. great. I'm going to put Barcelona on high on my dream list, like spend a 
winter there or something? Yeah, well, the winter's not great because the cafe shut down, right? So that whole thing. Yeah, spring and fall are great. Summer's great. Um, Any time other than midwinter, probably. All right. Yeah. So it it aligns with what you say. When I met Casilda, I was teaching English uh, and doing some translation work. And I was working, I was in grad school, I was doing some coursework in grad school, but I was working like 12 to 15 hours a week, making 20 euros an hour, something like that. So low, low income, definitely hand to mouth. I had a motorcycle, a BMW I rode around from class to class on. But I was living in a mansion with beautiful gardens, a swimming pool, fruit trees, a rose garden, and all, all the, the mansion had been broken into studio apartments, and everyone who lived there was a fashion model except me. So I was living in this beautiful place, small, but beautiful. I met Cassie. She's a doctor. She's working her ass off 60 hours a week, you know, running a mental clinic, private practice, pulling in all this money, and her apartment... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not trying to make fun of her. But her apartment was like in a off the exit on the highway like look out the windows you see a parking lot in the front and in the back like a dirt lot the light bulbs were hanging on cables from the ceiling it was and i said why like this you know why don't you like put some art on the wall she said well i'm just here temporarily but she'd been there seven years yeah and i think a lot of people are like that it's it's like and i remember one of our first conversations was like look you can teach me how to work harder I can teach you how to live better. And the two of us will have a balance, you know. Did you start working harder? I did. I finished my PhD okay. and then I wrote a book. And and then she quit her job and <laughs> she's relaxing. So I'm teaching her to relax. She's teaching me how to work. I didn't anticipate that if we were successful, I'd be working all the time and she'd be hanging out. I should have shot myself on the foot there. <laughs> but you can always turn it on and off. And that's... Yeah. Super relevant to our discussion and, and uh, stuff I advocate for people is a lot of people say, oh, I don't want to retire because I like my work or I like working in mm. some way. And I'm super in favor of that. I think everybody should work on something until the day they die. Until right. They can't work anymore. But it should be stuff you care about and it should be stuff that makes you feel good yeah. each day that you do it. And then yeah. once you have those conditions met you can scale up and down the amount of work according to your energy level and the phase of your life. Like, right. like when I was building this place about a year ago, I was working super hard, sometimes 12 hour days and sweaty and there's like wasps and dust and sparks and blood and diesel and all that stuff. And, uh, and then now it's just sitting here and it's peaceful and relaxed and I've been taking more leisure time. Mm-hmm. But then I get an itch to work again because I don't like too much leisure. And to me, that's mm-hmm. the definition of a good retirement. So I'm gonna be working yeah. super hard. In fact, I just got, an offer accepted on a house that I'm buying in the neighborhood just like a minute before I came down here. Oh, really? Congratulations. So that's the next year of my life is going to be working on a house yeah. uh, for some more, you know, another fun project. You know, I was thinking of that earlier when you talked about your first house and how it was kind of junky and you had to learn carpentry and some electrical skills or whatever to, to yeah. you know, bring it up. I did that in our place in, in Barcelona. And... Um, it sounds like a pain in the ass and it sounds like something you get forced into because you're trying to save money. You don't want to pay people to do things. But in fact, in retrospect, at least in my experience, it's 
an incredible pleasure. Yeah. I mean, I think people don't understand that pleasure, uh, how can I say this? Like we, we experience pleasure in the moment. Like, wow, this cherry pie tastes great. Right. And then you forget you ate a cherry pie and it's gone. But there are deeper forms of pleasure that don't necessarily come in that moment. Like maybe having kids when you have a little baby, it's a pain in the ass. It's shitting and puking and screaming. But over its lifetime, it's almost like an investment. Like you're you're getting all this pleasure later. But your initial investment is kind of a pain in the ass. I feel that way with the apartment that we renovated with friends. I was just talking about this this morning. It was hard work. It was dusty. My hands are still fucked up from, I put them in concrete for some stupid reason. Um, But I'll get pleasure from that place for the rest of my life, whether it's rented to friends or we're living there. Every centimeter of that place was touched by me or my friends when we renovated it. So there's this sort of, I guess what I'm saying is like people expect an immediate payoff with pleasure. But often it's a long-term payoff. Yeah, and you, some people use the word satisfaction so that you're differentiating between the pleasure of the cherry pie mm. and then satisfaction of feeling good at the end of the day, or in the worst case, at the end of the project, mm. realizing that was great. But uh, and the better you get at something, though, like for me, because I've been doing carpentry for so many years, like maybe 30 years. Um, it's even pleasurable in the moment because mm. I'm not struggling and I'm not making mistakes. I'm just listening to really good music. Yeah. And it's like painting. Yeah. Like not, I'm not literally painting, but it's like you're creating an art and you always know what to do and your body and mind are just in this state of flow. Like, mm. like 10 hours can pass with me doing construction and carpentry and then not even notice I forgot to eat. Right. And I was just flowing the whole day and you've just done a bunch of work. Yeah, so that's, that's great. Um, so it's a win on on both fronts right pleasure and satisfaction and yeah. that's why i keep doing it you know it's not really it's not what i trained for and it's not what i have to do i don't really need any more nice buildings in my life but i still i have to do it because it's my um it's like mental health for me it keeps me healthy and happy to work on these projects that i care about so did you when you were starting off and you were thinking about these principles did you have a number where you say okay i need half a million dollars in these funds and that's it I can live on that the rest of my life was there a specific number yeah there was and it was kind of a guess because I most of my stuff that I spout now about personal finance is things that I've learned after retirement so I kind of stumbled into a recipe that was approximately right but anyway our goal back in those days was always to have a paid off house so no mortgage and then 600,000 additional dollars in investments that would kick out the the cash flow that we needed and I knew roughly what the stock market returned and everything. Uh, since then, I've, I've come to formalize it under the well-known thing called the 4% rule, where you can kind of rely on a lifetime stream equal to 4% of your investments. So a million dollars of investments will feed you $40,000 a year for your grocery money forever, and it will gradually increase. It'll keep up with inflation. And there's a small chance of that failing, but really small. Even if you're going for your whole life, it's still like 90% success rate. And that's after taxes? Yeah, because taxes are actually pretty much zero. That's the other benefit of uh, mustachian living is I kind of advocate that everybody should be able to live on somewhere between twenty dollars and $40,000 a year. Um, if you're going to try to live on two hundred dollars a year, then there's going to be a substantial tax burden. You'll have to make three hundred dollars in order to net two hundred. dollars mm. It can still be done. It just multiplies your investment 
required. Yeah. But, you know, if it takes you that much to live, you're probably doing something wrong. Right. You're probably overspending on something that you don't realize is unnecessary. Right. So 4%. Yeah. yeah that, and that's conservative because generally it's more than that, isn't it? I mean, isn't it like the normal return 8%, something like that? Yeah, or? that's true. And the reason 4% was the line was drawn there is to account for fluctuations um, and bad market periods. Because sometimes the stock market will go down for more than a year. And if you happen to retire with $1 million and then there's a big haircut in the stock valuations and they're worth 700000 the next year, and you insist on continuing to spend 40000 a year, mm. then you're nibbling away at the principal much faster right. than expected. Right. So this thing called the Trinity Study, and there's many other ways that it's been studied as well, it kind of takes into account all the past periods since the 1900, early 1900s in the stock market history. And then they said, okay, let's make it cover pretty much the worst case in this period, just in case today is the worst case. Right. And uh, it's true. Like if you were, if you went back to 2009, right when the stock market hit its, its bottom, and then you retired with like a million dollars at that point, you could live on an 8% uh, spending right. because uh, the stocks were relatively cheap then right. and they inflated right back up. Right. So anyway, yeah. you don't have to read a lot into this because the most important thing you do is just get your spending under control and then everything else just takes care of itself. So what, okay, when you're, do you do consultations or just the blog? How, how do you um, do? Yeah, just with friends, you know, I'll help friends or blog readers or right. sometimes write case studies. <laughs> uh, on people because they send in interesting studies yeah. uh, on their with the, all their numbers and then we can kind of break it down yeah. give them advice in public and of course shaming because that's part of the Shame. mustache brand yeah. oh is it really public mockery like, public. what the hell why do you have two racing trucks what's You're not wrong even... with you yeah, yeah. so uh, but yeah I don't have a consulting business or anything because that's yeah. that's the kind of work that's not as fun as carpentry for example there you go yeah, yeah yeah listening to people whine and complain all day that's that's what psychiatrists do like my wife there that's why she retired early we eat in restaurants too much and that's I know that's a big waste of money yeah that adds up surprisingly fast it adds fast. up fast depending where you're eating but she does, and Cassie doesn't even like it, and she cooks really well. So it's it's doubly oh, yeah. stupid because I can cook adequately. She can cook really well. Yeah. And you go out to a restaurant, you spend seventy five bucks, yeah. and it's like, okay, we could have made this better, healthier, using the right oils, not whatever shit they've got in the kitchen, for twenty bucks. Yeah. You know. And you took that money out of your student loan. Like that's what I like to think. <laughs> I would like to remind people, yeah. if you're in debt, yeah. every single thing you buy is like taking it, you know, like a credit card that says, add to my student loan, please, and you uh, swipe that. Because so you're going, not paying it down. Yeah, because yeah. that money could have gone to right. the student loan. So when you're in debt, everything you are spending on is borrowed. So would I borrow to buy this coffee? Would I borrow to buy this bottle of wine? Hmm. Sometimes the answer would be yes. Like if you're on the street and you need a room to get out of the, the snow, you would borrow, you do whatever it takes Right. room, but you maybe shouldn't be borrowing for the most frivolous of your expenses. Yeah. So then you find a happy medium. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel? You, you talked about this a little bit earlier with college. I think you and I agree on this. If people aren't, if it's not specific job training, if you're not going to school to be a brain surgeon or a pilot or something where you need that degree, think it through a lot because a, you'll end up where I am, which is like you're going to die with student debt. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, well, there goes a the fire truck. 
um, it, you know, what people go to school to get, I think, that they don't understand. They're going to school because everybody else goes to school when you're 19. Like, oh, everybody's going to college. Yeah. That's the wrong time to go to college. I agree, yeah. I, I think. Mm-hmm. Because you don't know what the fuck you're doing. It's like getting married at 19. You don't choose a career path at 19. You don't know who you are yet. Don't get married, don't have kids, and don't commit yourself to a career path. If you want to go to college at 30, you're going to be a better student, you're going to be much more serious, and you'll know what you're doing. So anyway, I I encourage people to, knowledge is free. I mean, you used to be able to go to a library and learn what you needed. Now you can just go online. You can people reach out to me all the time asking me for book, you know, this and that. And you've got your blog. I mean, there are a lot of people like us who are offering information for free. So why are you going into debt? Yeah, that's true. I like that idea. If you're not sure of a career path, then delaying your formal education and, and focusing instead on some kind of work. Yeah, if you need to earn money. Yeah. And then you can learn in the background for free. Yeah. It seems like a smarter path. Yeah. I had such a, I was so confident at the time that I wanted to become an engineer that there was no need to delay. I did start it. Right. I guess I was 18 for my first year. And I was just eager to get that out of the way because mm. it sucked. It was engineering is a grueling, unpleasant program and there's no attractive girls in your class. Problem sets and all night long. Yeah. You yeah. just want it done. So I just cranked as fast as I could. And then I left. I never, didn't even go to my graduation ceremony because I was, really? was a work day, and I was there to start making some money. Yeah, I'm going to drive five hours back to the school to yeah. get a hat. So was it when you were doing that? Were you already thinking like I'm working toward financial independence? No, that was an accident. I just stumbled upon that after working for a few years and still had the mentality of not wanting to waste money. Yeah. But once I, I realized, hey, this is building up, what else can you do with extra money that you're not wasting? Then I got more into the finance books and I was inspired by a couple of coworkers too mm. who had been collecting rental houses in the Boulder area and I noticed that they were quite reasonable with their money, like they would bike to work and had a pretty normal house despite the fact that uh, had a lot more paper wealth than some of the other guys I worked with who had McMansions and Mercedes and uh, and no investments. Yeah. So I kind of I, I uh, modeled after the the more practical people because I liked where their life was going. He had a choice of working or not working already by the time I started that job. Right. You know, and there's a there's a long-standing we're. we're pissing on American culture a little bit here, at least I am, but there's a long-standing tradition of this sort of frugality and consciousness about, I mean, there's this New England sort of um, practicality, and Henry David Thoreau, I don't know if you've read Walden, but he gets into numbers, like he's, okay, I'm living in this cabin in the woods, you think this is crazy, you think you couldn't do this, well, here's what it cost me, and he goes through, have you read it? No, not, I've just heard a lot of quotes from it. Oh, dude, it's an amazing document, because he's an ornery fucking guy, but he's, he's like, look, you, we need to reduce life to its most basic elements, because that's what matters. Not all this frivolity, all this bullshit, all the, the lace. Let's get down to the structure. And what really matters is your time, your relationships, 
and you have a shelter. That's all you need is a shelter. And he was living in a place, I don't know if it was eight feet by eight feet that he built himself. And he was like, look, here's what the wood costs. I cut it down. Here's what the nails cost. Here's what the beans cost that I planted in the garden. <laughs> and he really like gets into the numbers to show that you can do this. Anyone can do this. Yeah. If you're in debt, you're chasing money, it's because you've chosen that. This is available. And I, and I feel like there's, I just interviewed... Um, the guy who de um, designs Earthships, you know about them? Yes. You know, so this is a recurring theme, and I'm going to talk to the, the, one of the leading architects of tiny houses, and, you know, like, I, I really resonate with this and always have. Like, the, the real happiness is to be found in simplicity, and yet the culture's constantly pulling you toward spend money on this nonsense. Right, so I guess we just need a few... More, I mean, that's probably why the people who read my blog are excited about the changes that they've made, and those tend to spread. It spends to their friends, and right. I get all these people saying, "Oh, it was someone was my friend Bill was reading your blog, and he made me read it." Yeah, and we got sucked in. Yeah, because it's it's self-evident as soon as you try it, is because you immediately start leading leading a happier life, and you realize it's not even about money. Right. But it takes somebody to start it in your life if you didn't learn it from your parents. Yeah. So uh, you yeah. need more, more role models. More good examples. Examples, yeah. There's a book called Your Money or Your Life. Yes, I even contributed to, oh, did you? to the, the new edition of that. Oh, cool. Yeah, I read that 20 years ago probably. Yeah. It's been out for a while, right? Right. So Vicki Robin is the author of that, and she just wrote a new and all-new edition and published it this year, 2018. Oh, okay. So, if anyone's looking for it, the new edition would be a lot more relevant, especially because the investing stuff changed. And she talks about technology. Uh, before there was a lot of stuff like writing things on graph paper and everything. And you know now, now yeah. she's adapted the system to work better. And so it's easier to apply her methods now than it ever has been before. Right, right. You have books in mind. Uh, that's a really good one. I I really like the Millionaire Next Door. Uh, like yeah, a, I've heard of that. Thomas Stanley and some other person, also from a couple decades ago, but they went around the country and studied all the everyday millionaires um, and found that most people got wealthy by just living reasonable lives rather than any kind of flashy IPOs or, hmm. or uh, sports you know, actor-type windfall salaries. It's just people who, uh, you know, they drive a Honda Accord and live in a normal house and then run a slightly more successful than average business and by keeping it goes right back to how we started this podcast is they end up saving more than half of what they're making and pretty quickly then you become a millionaire but your neighbors don't know because you're not blowing it all and because if you blow it all then you're not a millionaire you're just a, a flashy consumer yeah yeah i was reading some accounts of um people in silicon valley uh who may i think the guy's he has a net worth of like $12 million, uh, but he works seven days a week, 10 hours a day. He's stressed out, totally unhappy. He's living in a million-dollar house overlooking the ocean, all this stuff. And it's this recurring theme of you never get there. That's why I asked you earlier if you had a number, because I think people start off with a vague sense, like, if I get here, I'll be happy financially or if I marry her or if I get that car or whatever and you never get there it's always receding yeah and you know there are these this guy's you know 
pulling in six figures, high six figures. And he's like, yeah, but the guy next door, you know, he's making seven figures. And it's you're never going to because you're always comparing yourselves to a new set, a new community that's always a little ahead of you. That's true. Yeah, it's quite a trap. And uh, there's it's possible to spend almost effortlessly. It's possible to spend pretty much any amount of money until you get up to a few million dollars per year in income, and then it starts to get a little harder. It's not until you're really like a, a 10 million per year or higher that it becomes really hard to spend all your money. Well, so but then they've got casinos for you. Yeah, you yeah. can blow it like that, or a yacht, you know, a yacht can be $200 million. Oh, so, easy, yeah. So depending on how you set your standards, it's only like the most extreme billionaires who truly have enough money, Yeah. because you can't, you just can't spend Bill Gates money unless you're just like yeah. giving it away. To well, the there's so much coming in. Like, how do you? Yeah. Yeah. So, but Coke, other, cocaine's helpful too. No, not for billions of dollars because you would die. That's true. Way before, <laughs> unless it's like cocaine for a stadium of seventy thousand people every night. A big party. Yeah. yeah. But it's if you go rewind that tape all the way to the beginning. Yeah. And like, I personally can't even imagine spending more money than I do now, which is around twenty-five thousand dollars a year roughly for our family and we feel like we just buy whatever we want like it's just super luxury like uh and it's because the desires are kind of hmm. i mean there's built-in efficiency like I, I enjoy hanging up close to dry because i'm out in the colorado right. sun looking at the mountains so just little things like that yeah so they and, smell better it's better for the clothes yeah i enjoy there are I mean, no dryers in spain <laughs> yeah even apartment buildings be. everyone goes up on the roof and hangs their clothes it's cool yeah and it's not like I can't afford a dryer or any of this kind of stuff. I just enjoy doing stuff the outdoorsy, efficient way. I like riding a bike more than I like driving a car. So it just doesn't add up. I mean, we would spend more if it would make us happy. Do, no, you, do you go out for pizza and stuff? We uh, order pizza in nowadays. Uh, the lady and the son will tend to order pizza. I like making my own pizza because it's a lot better. But, you know, they let loose a little. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, going out for dinner is a good example I would do that if we enjoyed it, but just our family situation dictates like our son doesn't like restaurants for uh -huh. one thing, and you know the, us adults tend to socialize separately more often. So yeah. I'll I'll go out to dinner on a trip right. with my friends, but not here in Longmont because it's just not part of what I enjoy doing with my time. Right. You're sitting there waiting for stuff. Yeah. To me, that's too inactive. I don't like sitting and waiting for food and then eating it slowly and then waiting to pay yeah. unless there's some kind of amazing discussion that I want to have but I, so that's when I'll go out to dinner for social I, I won't go out to dinner just for food right right that makes sense what are your vices is there any fat in your world there's is there any frivolity that you're like ah you know I really shouldn't drink so much beer but I love it yeah I do drink a fair amount of beer but not as much as some people you don't so. make your own uh, no, I, I did a little bit, but it was it wasn't very cost effective. Beer is good in Colorado. Yeah, I, I gotta say. It's... And the amount that I drink, it just doesn't add up to very much. And now we have a keg here at the headquarters. So oh. beer is tax deductible. <laughs> it's a business investment. Yeah, nice. So that's, it is nice. kind of interesting though, because you can set up your life so what you want is free. So I like yeah. having space for my tools and like a nice yard with uh, my weight training equipment and a place to hang out with friends and have parties. And that's what this building is, but it pays for itself because we have a membership. Everyone, everyone who joins just pays $50 a month. So we all get all this stuff. Right. So, and I get it all free. Right. So everybody wins. We all that's make friends. Great. 
Um, it's a way of meeting everybody's needs for social and tools and storage and business, but at a zero, less than zero dollar cost for me because the membership's a bit more than it costs me to run the building. So I encourage people to find ways to meet their, their needs and, and get all their joyful stuff and just that in a way that's less expensive. All right, folks, I'm going to start selling memberships to Scarlett Jovanson. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's Scarlett Jovanson. She's right outside. We're looking at her right now. Um, yeah, I mean, I, the van's a business expense because yeah. I'm doing a podcast and traveling around and, you know, it's advertising the podcast and books and stuff. Um, but it would be even better if it were uh, community-owned. Yeah, and if you had friends that lived nearby and rented the van from you, yeah, I mean, I'd rent that thing. Yeah, it's fantastic to travel in. It's yeah. it's the best. I mean, that's a very frugal thing. I mean, we, you know, we spend money on diesel, obviously, and we do tend to stop at Denny's a little more than we should, or <laughs> <laughs> we used to. Cassie doesn't like Denny's anymore. She used to like Denny's and Cracker Barrel, but they've both Cracker Barrel. Yeah, yeah, no. She thought Cracker Barrel was like real American. She didn't understand that it was fake real American. You know? Yeah, got it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty frugal way to travel. We generally sleep in um, BLM dispersed camping. That's free. Yeah. Uh, occasionally, we'll go to a national park campground, which ranges from six to eighteen bucks a night, something like that. You know, you get a picnic table in the bathrooms and everything. But generally, we're just pulling over next to a river somewhere and jumping in the river. And oh, that's joyful! Yeah, I think that's really fun. Yeah, it's it's a really great way to travel, and you can live very very cheaply. Um, anyway, so. Have, is there something that we've we haven't covered? I know sitting for an hour probably is excruciating for you. I don't want to drag it out much longer. Uh, what I mean, I encourage people to look at your blog. Is it Mr. Money Mustache blog or just Google? Yeah, well, if you look up Mr. Money Mustache, you know that'll be the first. And what's the result. slogan? Like financial independence through badassery? Is that close? Yeah, I say badassity. Badassity. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh. But anyway, it's about yeah, becoming a badass. Yeah. Uh, How do you define badass? A problem solver, I would say, like willing to enjoy, like embrace hardship and solve your own problems. Huh. And for example, like uh, someone is a badass if they will ride their bike to the grocery store to grab some stuff, even if it's a blizzard or, or a light snowfall or hmm. whatever. You know, whenever I see a mom carrying multiple kids dragging people through the you know through the city instead of taking the big white mercedes suv i think of her as a badass in a great way mm. so doing things that are difficult and you know is is an admirable human trait and i think it gives you a happier life and it just happens to cost a lot less so that's why self-reliance is built into that yeah 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 and that's a deeply again that's a deeply american trait I mean, not to diminish any other country, but uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote a, an essay, a very famous essay in like 1830s probably, called Self-Reliance. And it's one of the central essays of the sort of American ethos of those days. And it's all about like, it's taking care of yourself and not, like when you really need help, your neighbor's pitching in and help, but you don't ever abuse that. Yeah, you know. and ironically, that's the opposite of our consumer culture, even though somebody might say, well, I'm self-reliant because I bought my own luxury cushiony pickup truck with puffy seats and stuff. But really, the self-reliance would be not needing a luxury thing and, yeah. and using more like a real tool 
use tools and don't, instead of toys mm. and, uh, and getting a broader range of skills and being self-reliant financially so you're not in debt so you don't borrow money for your pickup truck those are the more genuine definitions of self-reliance i think that we're missing yeah do you do you think of these issues globally in other words american debt and to china and like how that's going to play out or or do you just keep it on a personal level and and sort of keep your focus well, the dirty secret of the blog, Mr. Money Mustache, is it's not even a personal finance blog. It's secretly an environmental activist blog because you're, I'm trying to get the human race to avoid making itself extinct by destroying its own habitat. And the only way to do that is to consume less shit, right? And America being the most consumer-oriented engine of wealth of the world is leading that and exporting our stupid inefficiency consumer habits around the world. So. My idea was that if I could get us all excited about being efficient and having a more joyful life, then there's like a reward and that everybody has a lot more freedom. Which yeah. is like, fuck yes, America value. And we can raise our kids better and we can have a lot more prestigious and self-respecting life. But we'll also save the entire planet as well um, by exporting the values of efficiency as well. So changing American consumer culture, I think, is a big lever on changing the world's consumer culture which is a good way to reduce our consumption of uh, natural resources. But I don't say that too often, or at least I pretend it's a secret, because nobody in America wants to be lectured on their carbon footprint or being eco-friendly or you should be vegan and all that stuff. It, should, it has to be uh, purely based on self-interest and prestige. You know, it has yeah. to be the cool thing and the prestigious thing to do yeah. to be good with money. Yeah. And you, if there's any environmental benefits, that has to be sec- it has to be an accident. Nobody yeah. is gonna. T- that's what I find in our culture. Very few people are gonna do anything deliberately just to save the environment. So, but luckily, you don't have to care about the environment because your personal best interest also lies in becoming better with money. Yeah. That sums it all up. Yeah, it was a pretty good ending. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna end there. Write yeah. that one down. <laughs> Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate the invitation. He said. Baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're gonna say. When everyone you've ever known is headed for a headstone, I don't wanna give the end away, but we're gonna die one day. Your body is an doesn't ask for much a little music and a soft touch why don't you let it out to play your heart is in a birdcage singing in your chest you want to shut it up but give it a rest you're gonna die one day why do we waste our time thinking about a reputation running from a confrontation wondering what we ought to say 
a big deal if you wanna be free. Say what you wanna feel. Spend the night with me. I'm gonna take you up in my arms, and if we must go down, we'll go singing to the smoke alarms. We'll dance into the ground.